Thank you, Brother Judah. Thank you, young people, for allowing us to talk a little bit about the practical aspect of how to use your time. And we need to give some attention to how we use our time. And I feel like this is just a, a, a blatant look at our time and just our phones and all that. And I pray that God will help you make changes on that. But since you've walked into this room today, there has been a clock going. Right now it's 5,000. 651 and counting. That's the number of people since we've come to this room that have died and gone into eternity since we've walked into this room. It's the number of funerals that are being planned as we speak. And as you can see, the clock is not stopping. Most of us, if we die, we're going to heaven. Most of the world is going to hell. And one of the reasons we gather here today is to consider what are you going to do about one of those people, or 10 of them, or 12 of them, or hundreds of them? What could happen in my life, in your life, over the next few moments, the next few hours we're together? And if we don't just make decisions, but we make ourselves disciples, millions more people who are dying and going to eternity without Christ could come to know the Lord. What are you going to do for these people? This is the question that all of us ought to get serious about. So many of us, we're just, we just want to have the next iPhone. We want to get the next gaming system. We want to drive this car, or live in this neighborhood, or get this job, or have this amount of money. And all that stuff is going to go away so stinking fast. And it won't matter. But what matters is what matters with the Lord. And he loves people more than anything. As we know, that there are things that are going to last forever. And you are going to last forever. And people that have died without Christ, they needed to hear about him. There is a great white throne judgment. May each of us pensively think about that. Let's pray together, can we please? Do you know someone who is lost? Would you pray for them? Can you think of a country of the world that needs the gospel? Would you pray for that country? Would you pray for people that you will meet in the next week, the next 168 hours, and say, God, please help me to be sensitive to tell them about Jesus. Help me use my time more wisely than scrolling through something that doesn't even matter winning a game or playing a friend with something doesn't even matter when I could be doing something eternally significant. Father in heaven, I thank you very much for the privilege to be here in this place. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful young people. They have been an absolute delight. Thank you, Lord, for the workers that have inspired and courage and sacrifice for them to come. Thank you for the pastors that love them, and the church families that are praying for them, the moms and dads who care and, and are interceding even as we speak. I pray that, God, you would do an eternal work in the remaining of our time we have together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please, young people, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter number 4. James chapter 4. I'm honored to share a few moments with you today, and I want to exercise brevity at the same time clarity. I want you to understand. I'd like to ask you not to talk to anybody. 
I only want to talk to you just for a few moments. We're winding down the Youth Conference 2023, and I could not imagine how things could be a little bit better. Things have been a little bit heavy, and I appreciate so very much your maturity to take in what we've been talking about and assess it, think. I can tell you're thinking, and that's a great thing. I appreciate that. As we continue our thought today a little bit about, um, uh, about uh, eternity, we look in the book of James and chapter 4. I'll read the passage of Scripture. We'll walk through a little bit of a, an explanation of the book, and then I want to share with you, if I can, a few thoughts about two things, the will of God and your life. Can you say it with me? The will of God and your life. Once again, the will of God. Let's look at James chapter 4, can we please? Verse number 13, toward the end of the chapter, read, if you'll follow along, I'll ask some of us to read together verse 14 for sure, but 13 says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. The guy's got money on his mind. Verse 14, would you read it with me, everyone? Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow... It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, the will of God, what does God want me to do? We shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Verse 17, conclude with me, would you please? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, The book of James is a unique book of the Bible. It's one five-chapter book, not very long. We believe it was probably written by a man named James who was and grew up in the same household with Jesus. He and Jesus were siblings. They shared the same mother, but obviously had different fathers. Probably the writer of the book of Jude also grew up in the same house with Jesus. Took him a while to figure out if he would believe in Jesus or not. Maybe it's because his mother kept saying to him as a kid, why don't you just be like Jesus? (laughs) Maybe he got a little bit bitter about it, I don't know. But it took some time, but he finally came to the understanding that Jesus wasn't just his half-brother, he was his Savior. And he put his trust in him. He became the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem after James, the disciple of Jesus Christ, was martyred. He seemed to surface as the leader. He was a hard hitter, and he wrote this book to the Jewish believers who had scattered abroad because of persecution. And I think the main emphasis of the book is it's time to grow up. I don't know about you, but I'm 56 years old, and I don't like it when someone says to me, John, why don't you just grow up? It offends me. It hurts me. It bothers me. Or when they say to me when I was 10 or now, they said, oh, you're so immature. Because there's something inside of my heart that wants to mature. And James, the writer here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is telling people, you have got to step it up. You've got to mature spiritually. Somewhere along the line, you need to put away your silly games and decide, you know what? You need to, you need to put on your big boy britches and handle this. And he tells them there's several ways you do that. The first way is when you handle problems. And he said, how you handle problems? He starts off the book with, count it all joy when you fall into divers or different kinds of temptation. Knowing this is the trying of your faith worth good patience. The first way you'll mature is how you handle difficulties that come to your life. And some of you have got a handful of difficulties. Some of you have got truckloads of difficulties. 
But how you deal with them is going to show your maturity or and help us grow in maturity. I don't like problems. I think I'm allergic to pain. I hate them. Anything that's uncomfortable, I want to get out of it. I want it to stop now. I want to transition out of my problems, but God wants to transform me through my difficulties so I can look to him. The second way I will grow to maturity, or you and I can grow to maturity or show maturity, is our approach to the scriptures. In James chapter 1, he says now, the perfect law of liberty. He's talking about the Bible. He says every good gift and every perfect gift, it comes down from above. And in particular, he's talking in context about the Bible. What you do with the Bible will determine what God does with you. You cannot have a heart full of sin and a heart full of the Scripture and a relationship with the Bible simultaneously. One's got to go. Wherewithal shall you can have a head full of knowledge about the Bible and have a heart full of sin, life full of sin. But if you really love your Bible, you're going to find that God's word in your heart will keep you from sin. And your approach to the scripture is going to show your maturity. What you and, and by the way, I'll just say, I have enjoyed being with you. This is my first time to preach to you, but I, I've enjoyed watching you listen. And the maturity that you have to listen to the scriptures. It's fantastic. But he tells us in chapter 2, not only in how we handle our problems and our approach to the scripture, but chapter 2 is how I uh, treat other people. How I treat other, other people in my life, whether it be poor or rich. If I think I'm better, I show partiality. I'm showing immaturity spiritually. He says, also I'll show my maturity in how I serve. He says, you say you have faith. Well, show me your faith by your works. There comes a time when we need to take off our bib and put on our apron. And teenagers, many of you have heard so many life-changing messages, you're not sure who you are. And what you need to do is get out there and do something. You need to stay busy in the work of the Lord. You need to find something you'll do. Go on soul winning. Clean out the bus on the way home. Don't let your, your youth pastor clean out the bus. You stick around. I remember uh, watching my two boys clean out the bus. The last activity that my son did before he passed away was clean out the church bus on the way home. I'm glad he did it. I didn't ask him to do it. His youth pastor didn't ask him to do it. He decided to do it. But everybody needs to get involved. And you'll show your maturity by what you bring to the table you serve. Chapter 3, I'll show my maturity in how I use my mouth. What I say, he says, what is your, 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 your mouth is, it can, it's made to direct people, not to destroy people. We can find out a lot about someone, and of course today, Dale Carnegie said, I don't have to listen to someone, I just got to watch how they use their time, I'll know what they value. But also, you can tell a fool by his speech. You can tell a wise man by how he talks. Maturity is shown through your speech. Maturity is shown through your interest in wisdom. Wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable. It's, it's gentle. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy, full of good works, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Wisdom is from, a, from below. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. What are you attracted to? Are you attracted to the wisdom that's from above or the wisdom that's from below? 
Chapter 4, he talks about really submission. It's submission that causes us not to have interpersonal problems with your mom and dad. Some of us, we left our home this week, we slammed doors, we cursed, we got mad at our parents. They've given so much to us, but no, no. You know why you do that, Spanky? It's because you are proud, you're full of yourself, and you do not want to submit. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Some of you, your drama mamas in your youth group. You cause all kinds of issues. You know why? Because you're stubborn and rebellious. And you're immature spiritually. Mature people make big problems little. Immature people make little problems and they blow them up. They make little issues, little things that are... And you know, mature people, they, they understand that. You know why you, oftentimes we struggle with spiritual standards of holiness? In the same context of submission, he said, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And whosoever be a friend of the world is not the friend of God. Separation issues, what I wear, where I go, what I listen to, all of that is a submission issue. It's where the Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and then what he will do? He'll, he'll flee from you. have a lot less temptation. If you're being bombarded with a major amount of temptation, first of all, you need to ask God to protect you from temptation. But also, you need to submit to yourself to the Lord. People who learn to submit to the Lord have a lot less challenges with temptation from satanic forces. And then he comes to chapter 4. Now, chapter 5, he'll talk about our show of maturity by our approach to finances, our substance, our approach to steadfastness, keeping going while we wait for things to unveil, like a farmer who waits for the early and the latter rain and still is faithful to plow and weed and wait through difficult times. And some of you are waiting. I talked to a young man. He said, he said Pastor, would you please pray for me? He goes, I got saved when I was young, and I'm so glad I'm saved. He says, I'm 12 years old now, but my daddy's not saved. My daddy doesn't believe like, like we believe, and he doesn't. He said, Pastor, I don't know if he's ever going to get saved. I've been praying for him since I was four years old. You know what that man needs, that young man needs to do? Keep praying. Keep being the best son he can be. Keep, keep loving his dad and obeying his dad. Because oftentimes dads and moms, they don't listen to your words, but they're watching your life. Family members oftentimes, it doesn't mean I'm not supposed to talk to them, but quite frankly, your, your life gives you a platform so what you say matters. If people don't trust you, they're not going to trust what you tell them. If you're a lousy son or a lousy daughter, good luck trying to win your parents to the Lord. Your words will matter much more when your life is right. And then he talks about prayer. It's where, it's where the verse of Scripture in James chapter 5, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he talks about soul winning at the end of chapter 5. If you see a brother err from his way and you help him get right on the right track with God, then you've, you've delivered him from death and you've, you've covered a multitude of sins. You keep a lot of bad things happen. Anytime you can win someone to Christ, you keep a lot of bad things from happening to them and to those around them. But in chapter 4, we show our maturity by understanding two things. The will of God 
and the brevity of life. That's where in context, he says, you go now and say, today, tomorrow, I'm going to move to another city. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to make all I can make. I'm going to get all I can, can all I get, sit in my can and tell people how much I've got in my can. I'm going to use my life to get as much as I can for me. And then the Bible says, what? Your life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it, it goes away. What you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. I'm going to follow the will of God. With that in mind, I want to share with you a couple thoughts real quickly. Number one, the will of God is revealed in the word of God and you can know it. Now, I know the will of God, in my opinion, the will of God is very generic. It's the same for Brother Andy Gomez as it is for Brother Ricky Torres. It's the same for Miss Molly Otis as it is for Miss, Miss um, Lacey. It's the same for every one of the tour group members. The will of God is the same for everyone. But the plan of God is very customized to you. Who you're going to marry where you're going to live, what your DNA is, what your strengths are, your weaknesses, that's very much you. But the way you, you find the plan of God of your life is to be in the will of God for your life. Now, I don't know everything about the will of God, but here's what I know. First of all, it's revealed in the Word of God. I'll tell you five things I know this will of God. Number one, if you're not saved, God is not willing that you would go to hell. So we know that if you're not saved, you need to get saved. If you are saved, you need to be soul conscious. If 41% of you go tell someone else about Christ on a weekly basis, that needs to go up. All of us, are, if you're saved, you ought to want someone else to be saved. And man, soul winners, teenagers, I talked to a man today. He was in Chicago he was 16 years old. He was coming home from, from school. He had gone through some physical difficulties that made him angry and bitter toward God. Started to go into the occult and drugs and alcohol at 16 years old. And a soul winner from this church stopped him and his friends and said, I'd like to give you a gospel track and tell you about how you can know for sure. And they laughed him. They made fun of him. And the soul winner said, okay, I guess you don't want it. And he left. He said, but whenever he walked away from me, I knew for an instant that guy was there because of me. We made fun of him. We laughed him off. He put his head down and walked away from us. But I knew that moment God was trying to deal with me. And it would not be but six years later that he would slip into a church service because, in part, because of a soul-winning teenager that brought him the gospel. And someone would lead him to Christ at the back of the auditorium. And now he's a missionary in Belize. A soul winner. All of us ought to do that. All of us ought to be involved in that. And God says, the will of God for me is that God's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone you know to go to hell. So you and I need to be soul winning. We need to be sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible says, this is the will of God. You know what the will of God is? That you abstain from fornication. If you are in immoral activity, God, you're out of the will of God. And you'll never find the plan of God for you 
until you're willing to be clean, and you can be. There is hope. You say, Pastor, I have got so messed up between my and behind my eyeballs in my head. I've done things. I've said things. I've watched things. Oh, my goodness, Pastor. There is hope for you. You can have clarity. You can have purity. And it's God's will for you to have that. Even your sanctification that you abstain from fornication. It's God's will for my life that I be separated. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. Because I don't want you, John, to be like the world. I don't want you to act like the world. I don't want you to dress like the world. I don't want you to imitate the world. I don't want you to think like the world. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's God's will that I be submissive. You can look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and you can see that. Submitting to God and his authorities in my life and doing well-doing, this is how I do the will of God. It's God's will that I be thankful. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. It's revealed in God's word. Number two, the will of God is not only revealed in God's word, but it's really good and you'll enjoy it. One of the biggest lies that Satan tells you is if you serve God, you're going to give up a lot. That's a bunch of junk. Brother Eddie just came here just a moment ago and said to me, it is a sacrifice somewhat to live in a different place, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. See, the will of God is what you will want, you, will want to have done when you stand before God one day. It's really good and you want it. Now, all through the Bible, God entices us with that, with that thought. He says, look, he says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold to them that walk uprightly. Now, if I told you, listen, if you do really good things, I am gonna, I'm going to reward you. Look, I don't have that deep pockets. I can't do that very good. You probably should go do something else. But if God of heaven, who owns heaven and earth, tells you, you serve me, you're going to be glad. I'll take care of you. No good thing will I give you. Listen, believe that. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly all we are ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, Now the eye hath not seen, nor the ear has heard. So if I showed you, you wouldn't believe it. If I told you, your ears cannot contain. He said, the heart cannot capture the things God has prepared for those that love him. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think about you. Hey, listen, you're from Iowa, you're from Wisconsin, you're from Florida or Texas, wherever it is you're from, Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia. He goes, I'm telling you, you're a young man, a young lady. God says, I know the thoughts I'm thinking about you, and they're good, and they're not evil to bring you to an expected end. Look, I have given God a little bit, and he has blessed me a lot. I cannot tell you. I, I sometimes pinch myself, and I feel sorry for the rest of the world. Not because I'm a pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond. Well, I, I felt this way since I was like 15 years old. Since I started giving a little bit to God, it was like, man, God, you're really good to me. You're amazing. He was good to me to let me go to a youth conference. He was good to me when I 
enrolled in Bible college. He was good to me when I met Linda. 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 I love that word. Oh, man, I, I, I'm so grateful. He was good to me when he gave us our first son and then gave us eight more kids. He was good to me when he gave me a house to live in, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment, and then a two-bedroom apartment, and then a rented house, and then he let me buy a house. Then he paid it off. And all the things that God has given to me, I, I went through three passports. The first time I got on an airplane, I was 19 years old. I never stayed in a hotel room until I was married on my honeymoon. I didn't know what it, what it was like. I, I thought they would pay, charge you less money if you stayed only a short time. I mean, I remember going on my honeymoon. It was like 11.30 at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. 1 o'clock in the morning, I thought, I was in New Jersey. I thought, you know what? I'm sure it's going to be a discounted rate because we're coming at 1 o'clock. I didn't know about that. They charge you the same amount no matter how long you use it. Well, I learned so much. But you know, God has been very good. You will want to do the will of God. Now, I can tell you stories all day, and anybody, watch. Hey, listen, have enough brains to open your eyes and watch people that live a long time doing the right thing the right way for the right reason. And watch their life and let them tell you, no, it's just, just terrible. I hate being a Christian. No, you're not going to find that. You're going to find people that their, their minds are blown how good God's getting to them. The will of God is revealed in the Bible. It's, it's, it's really good, and you want it. Quite frankly, that's why we have a youth conference. Because all this, everybody's telling you, oh, man, if you live for God, you're going to do that. Oh, yeah, you, oh man, you're going to starve to death. You're going to ruin your life. Listen, let me just tell you, that's not God's opinion. And doing the will of God is rewarded. It's rewarded, and you'll be very glad you did it. Now, God doesn't have a problem with it. He said, behold, I come quickly, Revelation chapter 20, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his works. This is what the throne's about. It's about a reward. I'm not going to the, I'm not go to the great white throne. I'm not going there. I deserve to go there. I deserve to go to hell yesterday. But my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. But I'm not just going to heaven, I'm going to the judgment seat. I'm going to answer to God for the things I did and, and why I did them. And it's rewarded. And God's excited about it. He said, judge no, nothing before the time come. Until the Lord comes, and when he comes, he'll pull back the works, the, the curtain of the, uh, the, the demonic world, and he'll show what was really on the inside, the counsel of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. And rewards. Most of us don't trust God's rewarding process. You know, Peter struggled with it. Matthew chapter 10. I don't want to take up the time today to read I, I hope maybe you'll read it. Verse number 28 through 31, but I'll, I'll summarize what he said. Jesus was telling them, look, it is great to live. You, you need to live for me. And Peter said, you know what? Lord, me and all these other 11 guys, we have left all to follow you. What is in it for us? We have left everything. I mean, I, I, I put down my net. I told my dad I wasn't continuing with the business. I sold my boat, gave it to my other brothers. I've left everything, and I'm going to follow you. What is in it for us? 
And he said, there is no man, and you'll not be the exception, who hath left houses and lands and mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and possessions that I'll not give you a hundredfold. That's 10,000% more in this lifetime and eternal life to boot. That's pretty cool. And I think I'm living long enough to see what God means on that. I'm getting lots of brothers and sisters because I've given a little bit to God. There's so many blessings I've got. I, can't, I, don't, I don't know what 10,000% is, but it's a lot. And I think it's God, and I've only given a little bit. If I, if I really left all, I think it would be a lot more things could happen. God wants to reward you. The will of God is revealed, and you can know it. It's really good, and you will want it. It's rewarded, and you'll be glad you did it. Why don't we do it? What's the big problem? Some of you, you're juniors in high school, you're seniors in high school, you've got, you've got decisions to make this summer. Why would you not want to do the will of God? Now, I'm, I'm a little farther away from the beginning point than you are, most of us. Now, all of us, our casket could be in town today. But why wouldn't a precious young lady in this room say, God, yeah, I do want to do your will. Why, why wouldn't a young man say, Lord, if you'll provide for me and you'll help me, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Why wouldn't you say, if God, if you want me to go to the mission field, just show me how to do it, I'll do it. God, if you want me to live pure and you're going to pick my spouse for me, I'll let you do that. I'm going to live pure and wait for you. Why, why wouldn't you want to do that? I think there's probably a couple things that, that are reason. Number one is because our will is very strong. The Bible tells us that a fool hath no interest for wisdom, but that his heart can discover itself. He, he doesn't care. He just wants to get all he can get for his own heart. He wants to think the way he wants to think. He wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to have what he wants to have. Our will is strong. And, and God, I will just tell you this. I don't know if this, this statement is absolutely correct. I've been wrong so many times it may be wrong, but I think it's right. And that is that God made something stronger than his will in this decision, and that's your will. He wants willing servants. Many of us think God's going to just, he's going to make you twist your arm until you say, uncle, okay, okay, I'll do it. Are you kidding me? I think he just says, he's like, if you will, come. If you want to serve with me, I'll, I'll go, come with me. When I was, when I was uh, raising our, our children, oftentimes uh, my, my wife would ask us to take our shoes off at the door. And so I'd take the shoes off at the door and our kids would too. But every once in a while, I would get ready to go to the store or go out. And I would start putting my shoes on. Inevitably, one of the little kids would just, they would start scurrying around and finding their shoes. And I'm trying to tie my shoes, and they're going, Daddy, I go, I go. They put the shoes up in front of me. I'm trying to tie my shoes, and I go, Daddy, I go, I go. I said, where am I going? I don't know. They just are either bored at the house, and they want to go someplace, but most of the time, I know why they want to go. Because daddy has money, and they're broke. 
Daddy drives a car. They can't drive a car. Daddy likes Dunkin' Donuts and 7-Elevens and the gas station. And when they come out, they usually come out pretty happy. You know, when God puts his shoes on, you ought to say, yeah, where, where are you going? I want to go with you. I want to go. When he puts his shoes on, you say, I, I want to go on this trip. I don't want to take my little shoes and go off somewhere else. I want to follow the Lord. But our will is strong. And the, the issue is, are you willing? I can't make that decision. I wish I could. Oh, if I could, I'd just, I'd just give a big group hug to all of us, wrap up our hearts and take them to God and say, God, we're going to do whatever you want, wherever you want. Because all of us would be so happy. But no one can do that for me, and I can't do it for you. The second reason we don't want to serve the Lord, we don't yield our will to the Lord, is because we're too strong and because we think about money all the time. Wealth. Mr. Beast. He got your attention. Most of his little pictures are yachts. Homes, money. He's showing you all the stuff. And we just, oh, I want it. <laughs> oh, we'll do anything if the price is right. Materialism, the Bible says, labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. There is that that hath great riches and yet poor. Boy, learning to learn to say, you know what? You know what money is? It's a very good servant. It's a terrible master. And we think about it every day. I think about I thought about money today. I've made multiple decisions as the pastor of this church today. Finances, we, we bought a bus today for $8,000. And I, had to, I, had, I got the chance to approve that. We sent some money to... $6,000 to India today to help a missionary there in India. I'm glad we can do it. We have issues, and we had a problem with a workman's comp, and I have to deal with that. Money, it, it, it's frustrating, but it, it is a part of it. I think about it, my own personal money today. You think about it. But don't let money be a hindrance to you, because God is rich. He has never one time worried about money. He said, I can supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, and then all these things shall be added unto you. So our will is an enemy, wealth is an enemy, worry is an enemy. Some of you are you're scared to death about your future. And God tells us this way. He doesn't say don't worry. He says, take no thought. In the same context of, of this, he says, look, don't take thought of food. If I can take care of birds, you ever seen a starving bird? No, you haven't. But even in the wintertime, God takes care of the sparrows. He said, he, said, he said, don't worry about food. He said, don't worry about fashion. He said, if I can clothe the lilies, I can take care of you. He said, don't worry about finances. I'm not saying not be frugal and content and get on a budget and, and uh, get out of debt. All that stuff is important. But he said, don't spend your time worrying about that. 
It says, he said, seek the kingdom of God first. He said, take no thought of tomorrow. Don't think about your future. Don't be worried about that. Some of us, we don't do the will of God because we're worried, we're concerned about wealth, and we're just too strong in our own will. He tells us, look, what's the will of God? It's revealed. It's really good. It will be rewarded, not just in this life, but in the life to come. So don't let, will, don't let your will, don't let wealth, and don't let worry keep you back from that. His next question is, what is your life? Your life. You know, first of all, I'll just tell you, your life is relatively short. We, we saw that it's a hand span. Eternity, it's a dot of birth and death and a few little things happen in between and then it's the long line of eternity. But in this passage of scripture, he doesn't use a hand span, he uses vapor. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And on our screen today, I think we'll see a little bit of vapor that comes. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away really quick. It's just it's like off a coffee cup or off a tea kettle or a fire. I watched last night fireworks go off and I watched the evidence of that fire just kind of drift away and off into oblivion. Is that that's what your life is like. It's just a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it's gone. Your life is short. You say, Pastor, I'm going to live. My grandparents lived to 90, and I'm going to live to be 90. My mom is going to, she's, you, you don't know how long you're going to live. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not when a day bring a day. This morning we saw, remember the story this morning with the fool? He gathered all he could get. I'm going to tear down my body. I'm going to be a bigger. I'm going to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to rest the rest of my life. I'm going to retire early and have plenty of stuff. And I'll just relax and eat and drink and be merry. And the Lord said, thou fool. Tonight your soul be required of you. That happened to me. I referenced it just a moment ago. We have nine children. We, all, we love them all. Our first one was born February the 27, 1991. The Bellflower Kaiser Hospital in Bellflower, California, you never saw a happier daddy than I was that night. He was born, and a few minutes later, they concluded the Gulf War. Our president got on, the, on there and said, now I'm going to officially conclude the Gulf War. But I was so happy. We had that boy for 17 years, and he went to youth conference the summer before he went to heaven. He came to this youth conference, not the summer before, but the, the, the uh, two summers before that. He went to youth camp. He played basketball. He played the games. He sang the song. He listened to the messages. He went off to work at a little camp for a while and spent several weeks there. And Boy, I missed him so bad. And I remember him coming home from, uh, from the, the camp, and he and his little brother, Derek, they cleaned the bus out for the youth pastor, said, hey, you've had a long week, we'll clean the bus. And they cleaned the entire bus out for him. He got home later than everybody else did. I said, what took you so long? He said, ah, we just cleaned the bus. He's a sweet boy. The time he was going to heaven, he, he gave every week $15 to world evangelism. He went on the soul winning bus on Saturday morning. 
to visit people. He wasn't perfect. He, he sometimes would grieve us and disappoint us, but overall it was amazing. He worked at Baskin-Robbins. There's a few pictures of him. You might see him here just a little bit. There's Tyler right there. He's on a bus and on his way to a youth activity. He's working at Baskin-Robbins there. Caught a, a, a picture of that. It's him. and We lived in Long Beach at the time. This is where he was. He was 17 years old. He's with his mama here, and he was an actor in a play and doing some kind of a presentation there. He got to stand there on that same night in the same gymnasium. There he is with our family at the time. We were, and everybody but uh, Mason wasn't born, or excuse me, uh, Lacey wasn't born yet. Mason's right there. And he's off on the far left. Remember the night uh, before he passed away? Never, I mean, we put him in kindergarten so he would finish high school, obviously. He was going to be a senior the next year. The night before he passed away, he came to our, our room and he said, Dad, Mom, Mom, Linda was folding clothes and I was reading a book. And he said, hey, can you come out and watch me swim? I said, yeah. He put a towel over his shoulder, walked out. We walked out and leaned over the lattice work. We watched his six-foot, four-inch body dive into that nine-foot pool and swim across there and come back. He said, hey, Dad, did I splash a lot? What, what kind of grade would you give me? Michael Phelps was in the, great, was in the Olympics that year. And watching him, we turned the light on in the pool so I could see him swim back and forth. I said, oh, man, that was a six. You've splashed all over the place. Oh, okay, I want to do it again. He did it, did, a, did an eight, nine. We had a good time. I didn't know, but just a few hours later, the next day I was leading a couple to the Lord. Glenn and Tracy Gaskin was their name. and My phone was, I heard it buzzing. And after they got saved, I said, let me just, excuse me just for a second. Glenn, Tracy, and I looked on the phone and it had my son's name on it. He said, Dad, I got a chance to go with my friend Michael. We're going to go up to the Bay Area. We're going to move his sister. She's a Christian school teacher from Long Beach up to, to Redwood City. He said, uh, we'd like to go, and we're going to go to Brother Treber's church, and then we'll come back here, be back for Sunday night. He said, you think I can go, Dad? I sure would like to go. I said, sure, that's fine. He worked it out. It was fine. He was happy. And uh, everything was fine, but I did not know that later that evening, I was wrestling in my mind. I was struggling to fall asleep, and I usually don't do that. Usually I can sleep real good. And I was just tossing and turning. Linda said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I just feel, I don't know, feel like anxious in my heart. But uh, I finally fell asleep. Everything was fine. But about the time I was anxious in my heart, it was the time that Tyler was going home to be with Jesus. He was riding as a passenger in a car with a seatbelt on. The driver was driving. The man in the back was in the back. And it was just, a, they were having such a good time. They were listening to a song on a CD about I'm going home. He kept saying, I'll listen to it again. Finally, the driver said, enough of that song. Do another one. And a lady was on her cell phone arguing with her friend, her boyfriend, on the side of the road. She was a nurse, and she was going from San Jose to, to Los Banos, California. And she, he wanted her to go back, go to Los Banos. She wanted to go back. She said, I'm tired. She was arguing with her boyfriend. And in frustration, she, she threw the phone on her passenger seat, and she just didn't look. She just pulled out in front of the car that our son was in. 
My son saw the car. The driver saw it. Said, hey, here's the car. Watch out, watch out. He goes, oh, I'll go around. They went to go around the car, and the lady just didn't see anything, didn't see them coming, and just, just did a U-turn right in front of them. They hit the back of the car. They ricocheted up on the hillside. The car flipped. It went as far as it could go, and I've been to that spot many times. Went to that, went to that location, and the car just flipped and landed on its tires. When it was all done, the driver got out. He was okay. The man in the back got out. He was okay. And Tyler was just slumped over a broken glass and, and a window that was broken and slumped over there. And his friend said, Tyler, are you okay? And he didn't say anything, and he pulled him back, and he took a big exhale and said, Tyler, quit messing around. They unbuckled his seatbelt, pulled him out. The lady and who was driving behind them were, was a nurse and began instantly CPR. And, and then, not even expecting, an ambulance pulled up right after that. The men popped out and they got the electrical things and they began to do the artificial respiration on his, and then he began to bleed out his ear and his eyes. And they knew there was internal bleeding. He had broken his rib. One rib went into his right lung. The other rib went into, broke and went into his heart muscle. In a few moments, he went home to be with the Lord. And his vapor of life was a little bit shorter than most of yours will be. What is your life? It's short. It's a short life. It's not a long life. And if you live to be 17, and that's how old our son went, or you live to be 71, life is short and it needs to be considered that way. Number two, I would say that your life is significant. Your life is, matters. You know, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while this day, the night cometh when no man can work. You know, Tyler cannot give another dime. He cannot witness to another person. He had surrendered to do whatever God wants. He got saved on his 10th birthday. At a youth conference, he had surrendered to do whatever God wanted to do, and God didn't let him do that. You can. I can. Jesus said, I must work the works of him and sent me while his day. The night cometh when no man can work. Young people, listen to me. Night is coming. Night is coming for you personally. And it could come shorter than you think it is. Night is coming. For those you love, your mom, your dad, most of you will pick out the casket for your parents. Your grandma and grandpa, you're probably going to their funeral. And night is coming. The vapor of life is not going to last a long time. And you might be way up high on this uh, throne of vapor. You may be right here close by the, the source. But it's coming and your life matters. It's significant. What you do with your life matters to others in that long line of people going to the hell. It matters to them. It matters to your parents. It matters to your pastor. It matters to those that you don't even know, that you've never even met. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me because I know night's coming. You need to understand that. Life is short. It needs to be considered. Life is significant. It needs to be valued. And then life is a stewardship. It's a stewardship, and it needs to be invested. 
It needs to be yielded and needs to be surrendered to the Lord. Young people, what are you going to do with your life? You're going to keep it? You're going to keep it and just, and just make sure no one else gets it and you're going you're to just take care of you? What are you going to do with your life? You're going to make sure just God doesn't get it? That you do what you want to do and sit and watch it spoil in your hands? I would suggest you understand your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. Your body, your spirit, that's what you have right now. It belongs to God. So it, it's, it is significant, it's short, and it's stewardship. It's not yours. Give it to the Lord. Don't let worry or wealth or your will be so stubborn you wouldn't yield it to the Lord. Now, Pastor, what am I going to do? I don't know. Where am I going to live? I don't know. But if you give it to God, you'll be glad. And you'll be like this old 56-year-old guy and say, man, life is good. I laid in bed two nights ago and held the hand of my beautiful wife. And she said, John, thank you for loving the Lord. Thank you for leading our family. Thank you for loving our kids. Thank you for walking with God. You've helped me do that. And I could not imagine life being better than it is. And young people, I want you to have that same story. And you can. It's just saying a yes to God. Because your life is short. It's significant. It matters. Because life is coming. Night is coming. And I didn't finish this one. For you personally, for those you love, and for the lost. And somebody needs to get excited about that. I hope it's you. Let's stand together, would you please?